Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited to dive into today's episode. And I know I say that for every episode, but honestly, I'm genuinely excited. The interviews are so fun for me to do. And today's interview with Dr. Lidiana Garcia is no exception. She is a personal friend. She's a wonderful, wonderful mental health practitioner in the LA area. You're going to get to know her more on this episode. And quite honestly, this episode is really, really special to my heart. She shares some really impactful information and since I did this interview I've really been thinking about just the things she said and applying them to my own life and the clients that I work with because it's important that we take such excellent care of ourselves and it's not just the physical health it's also that mental and emotional health. So this is just a jam-packed episode full of some amazing information and before we get into the interview I did want to share with you thank you so much for those of you who have left a review on iTunes so far. I've got Mama Lizzie who left a review and she said just listen to this podcast and it was truly the most honest, thorough, and informative session. The convo was helpful, realistic, and amusing at the same time. I learned things about the postpartum body expectation. Ex- oh, I can't even speak. Expectations. I would never have known otherwise. And great advice on how to deal with not just the physical body changes, but the just as important mindset. Can't wait to listen to all the episodes from Jacqueline Kinzer and Holistic Lactation. Thanks, ladies. Awesome. Thank you so much for that kind review, Mama Lizzie. And that is a perfect intro to today's episode because like you said, not just physical body changes happening with postpartum and breastfeeding, but also the mindset. And that's such a huge portion. So as I told you in episode one, and it's the tagline for the podcast, this podcast is about milk, motherhood, and mindset. And we're going to do a deep dive into that motherhood and mindset piece with Dr. Lidiana Garcia. So here's the interview. Hi, I'm Jacqueline Kinser, and for the past five years, I've been helping families all around the globe to overcome their breastfeeding challenges. And this is the first non-clinical breastfeeding podcast that shows you how to rock breastfeeding and master motherhood through practical tips, mindset shifts, and honest conversation to create a confident and empowering breastfeeding journey. This is the Breastfeeding Talk Podcast. So I want to welcome officially Dr. Lidiana Garcia. She is a licensed psychologist in Los Angeles, California, and she has over 10 years of experience facilitating healing trauma. And it wasn't until five years ago that she actually started her own personal healing journey right after having her son and experiencing postpartum blues and depression. And then during this time, and she'll talk about this on our interview today. She said she felt like she was out of her body, confused, and had a constant feeling of wanting to go away. And then she felt like a horrible mom. She ended up seeking somatic therapy, yoga, healing her body, and restarted her spiritual practices. So currently, she has an online course teaching many of the skills that she personally has and continues to apply to her own healing journey. It's called The Healing Village. Besides this, in her private practice, she's also the host of an incredible podcast called the Beyond Resilience Life Bilingual Podcast, 
focusing on providing tools to overcome adversity and find new meanings and purpose in life. And she's actually expecting her daughter who's due in May. And so she's currently creating a pre and postpartum plan to help her navigate the new adventure of being a mom of two. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited for this. You're welcome. And congratulations on baby number two. I feel like this is such good timing for you to be on this podcast. And I know you're in the midst of launching your own sort of series about pregnancy and birth and motherhood on your own show. So for anybody who has not checked her out yet, definitely go subscribe to the Beyond Resilience Life Project podcast. It's incredible. I'd love to just hear more about you and your own journey because that's such a huge part of what you're doing today with your own clients and patients. Yeah, definitely. So let me start when I actually graduated. Well, part of one of the requisite, I always get that word confused, but part of what I needed to do before graduating was doing an internship. And because I studied in Puerto Rico and that's where I'm from originally. And when I went um, into that whole process, I was selected in an internship in LA. That's how I ended up here. It was not in my favorites. I was so scared. There was that movie that came out with Denzel Washington and um, the trainee or something like that. And he showed a lot of areas of LA. But I ended up here and I started my journey in trauma. It was, I did not know. I did take some classes in school, but when I started, it was like, hey, you either have to choose, I mean, besides the therapy where you either have to choose to do a group with sexual abuse survivors. And and in my case, it was going to be preteens. Um, girls or work with domestic violence. And I was like, oh, okay, this is reality. And I chose a sexual abuse survivor group. And that's when I started my whole journey. I got so many trainings. I got so many models under my wing. I was like, I got this. I'm a trauma therapist and all that stuff. Within like around five years later, then I started, you know, looking for a baby that took a little while um, for me. The journey took like about eight months and I did seek out some help in that area. And as soon as that month that I said, I'm doing a cleanse, I'm not going to look for a baby. That's the month that I got pregnant with my son. And then a lot of things started coming, you know, all these doubts, all these worries about I'm a psychologist. I know all this about children, developmental stages and health. But when I had him, I feel like, I mean, most people say this, that you don't get prepared to what's coming. And I can see why, you know, moms might not want to talk about that because a lot of them are still dealing with it. But it was like a real life check. I feel like I fell into the mud and I was in this very dark confusion stage. I started feeling a lot of things. I had some issues. I had a mastitis around, I think it was like around week and a half of delivering baby. And then I I lost a lot of blood during my um, delivery. So then I was like low in iron and I was like dealing with all the physical peas and then the mastitis and I really wanted to nurse. And, and I I just felt like my soul was somewhere else. And I know a lot of moms describe that experience for me that I was like, okay, what's going on? Because I really wanted to know why am I feeling all of this? My mom was here helping, but I was like feeling this weird feelings towards her, like maybe some anger. And I'm like, where where is this anger coming? And as I started going in and learning about some things that my mom went through that I knew, it was like the story that I always knew, but then it started making sense. I'm like, wow, she did go through some kind of postpartum 
blues and depression that at that time in the 80s, it was not cold that way. And then I started learning some stuff about my maternal grandma also with my mom. And then I, it also dawned on me that my mom had, when she was an infant, she had a very difficult surgery. And this was in the 50s in Puerto Rico. So you can imagine that. And she survived, but the hospital kind of gave her back to my grandma and said, we don't have anything else to do. So of course, like all this kind of intergenerational trauma was being passed on. And my whole fear of there's something wrong that I've always had it. But after having a son, it's been so hard because when you have a little one and you don't know, it's like, is there something wrong? What can I do? So in that whole mix, I remember when I was like about four weeks or so, there was a group, at a support group at a breastfeeding and mom kind of agency that they're in, in Santa Monica. And I told my parents because they were helping and they were like, we'll drive you. And I'm like, no, that, that morning I was like, whatever, I didn't sleep last night. And they're like, we'll drive you and we'll stay with you. I probably, they saw that I was like going downhill. And that was the most helpful thing because when I went there and I saw that I was not alone, that I thought my son was the hardest, but I saw other moms struggling with their kiddos. I was like, wow, wow, this is not how I thought, you know? And after that, there was a support group that started at my midwife, um, the midwife center. And I started going there. It kind of fell off, but we continued to meet and we did like a Facebook group of Monday moms kind of hang out and that was very supportive and then when I started feeling more relaxed I started my own therapy and this time I went more for a somatic because I was trained a lot of CBT mindset and all that kind of stuff and that was not helping me because <laughs> it's trauma it's more in the body and that helped me a lot and she did come to my house to do therapy with me while I was nursing while I was with my son and that was so convenient and so helpful and then later on, I got my own training into somatic therapy because I was like, I want to integrate this. I thought I knew a lot, but I've been missing this big part of helping people regulate. And it still is a journey. I mean, my son is going to be five. So there's obviously, and now I'm, I'm expecting. So a lot of those um, fears and doubts are returning a little bit like, oh my God, what if I go again into that whole thing? So I'm planning to start writing myself some letters remind myself of the skills that I know and all of that and get into the support, find new support groups for mom, find again a breastfeeding support group and all that because I know that was what helped me get back into somewhat of a normalcy path. Oh my goodness. I love everything you shared. There's so much in what you just said and, and we'll definitely unpack it because you made some excellent points. But what I really love and want to acknowledge you for is your vulnerability in sharing that, that I think sometimes people go, oh, well, yeah, she's the tra trauma psychologist. So, you know, she's, she's perfect. She doesn't suffer like I do. No, like we all do. And maybe that's even our why for why we have our practices and do this work. And I know that's the case for me with, with my own breastfeeding struggles. I was a stockbroker when I had my son. So, you know, I didn't choose this path. It sort of chose me. And it sounds like maybe similar for you as well. And it's important for us to tell our stories because what you just said, I can, I can guess that there's going to be a lot of listeners who see themselves in, in your story as well. And I wanted to kind of dive into something uh, for a moment, which was that you had mentioned uh, your mom coming and, and I think even your grandma coming to the support group with you. I have to say that I love that. And I've always just thought, 
wow, this, you know, whenever I have a, a client come to my office and they show up with their extended family like that, it's just this beautiful thing Or I go to their home and, you know, grandma's there taking care of her. And I'm like, she's going to be okay. You know, like the, the fact that those people around you support you. And, um, obviously you see that in your work too. And then what you said about intergenerational trauma. Um, I know that I, I think I made a, at least a social media post on this one time, but I've had moms tell me that, you know, they, there's a bit of trauma, even in the breastfeeding journey where, you know, they weren't breastfed as a child. Sometimes that conversation starts coming up during pregnancy and, you know, sometimes those wounds are there and, and their mom might say something like, oh yeah, it was the worst pain I ever experienced. Oh, you don't want that to happen to you. And they're already kind of setting it up for failure because they're trying to protect their child from that trauma of it not working out. And then you hear like the grandmother and the aunt and all these other women in the family have struggled. And, and I know historically that, you know, a lot of things have been going, going wrong for, with breastfeeding for, you know, a very, very long time. And so some moms feel like when they are able to successfully breastfeed, that that's actually a piece of that healing. And, you know, they're not just healing themselves, they're healing these past generations and, and they can show their mothers and their grandmothers that this is doable, it's possible. And then for that child they've breastfed, now that sets them up for future success. So we can, we can stop that. And I'd, I'd love for you to chat more about not just even breastfeeding, maybe even birth or, or anything else there about what you see across generations. Definitely. I'm here like light bulbs because as you're talking, I'm also realizing a lot of new things because what I felt it was part of my whole intergenerational kind of trauma was passed on from my maternal, um, you know, lineage. My grandma was separated from my mom when she was like about three, four months because she went to the hospital and they did like a open, like it was one of those exploratories um, surgeries because she was just throwing up everything and she had some issues in her intestines. So, and this was in a time that, the, you know, in the 58, in 1958 in Puerto Rico, and even though she was in the capital and into like maybe one of the best hospital, it was still in a very primitive. So I bet my mom was placed in one of those kind of like NICU and also in that time, I mean, Nikki nowadays can improve a lot, but in that time, probably my grandma did not have any access. So there was a sudden separation from my mom. And if you think about it, I was already, you know, an ovum in her ovaries, a potential down the road. So I, you know, all of that probably is in my genes of that separation and not touching, not being close by. And when my mom mm. had me, she did not breastfeed me, was not supported at that time. And she said she tried, but then she was separated from me for another story. She, they had a vacation and I'm like, oh my God, you guys were so irresponsible. <laughs> what a Disney world. That was it, you know? And they bought the tickets way in advance. And my father was like, we have our moms here. They can take care of her. And they, you know, they went out for labor. I think it's late. Yeah. Labor day. Cause I was born in August labor day weekend. They went for a long weekend getaway. So I was separated again from my mom in a way. Wow. So, so the cycle had, repeated. Yeah. So when I had my son, I felt this in like part of me just wanted to run away. It was that whole thing. But because I was breastfeeding, I was connected to him for so many hours and for so many days in that way. So I feel like breastfeeding was all like, that's why I was so intentional about making it work because I'm like, I want to break this pattern besides all of the 
positive outcomes that come from it. But also now I'm realizing that I was also breaking the pattern of being in proximity, just even that simple thing and being touching my son without any kind of separation. Because the first time I went away for a weekend or something was way later because I was breastfeeding on demand. And yeah, so I was also breaking those patterns. And what I would say in terms of intergenerational trauma is when you start exploring it, I mean, postpartum might not be the best time to explore them because you're going through so much. But if you start exploring them even before, right now in the work that I do in the Healing Village and in my, with my clients, we talk about them. And I'm like, I wish somebody would have talked about that to me. I mean, I was a trauma therapist and I did not, like I heard about it, but I did not, like it was not talked with my supervision and trainings. And it was not until I experienced it that it was like, oh, this is very real. And now I'm very into it. But yes. Yeah, no, that's that's such an excellent point because, uh, yeah, like most things, I mean, even if we're talking about preparing for breastfeeding, a lot of people will say, oh, you know, probably the best time to eat with you is, is when I'm pregnant. I'm like, well, actually, preconception is is even the better time. Uh, and a lot of people won't give it that much forethought, but I'm like, well, let's make sure your health's good there first because if it's, if it's not good there, um, you know, either it can cause problems with, with breastfeeding, like on a, on a physiological level, um, or it can cause problems for your pregnancy, which then if, if something goes wrong there, uh, that could cause problems with breastfeeding. And what you're saying is, is even the mental health aspect as well. And it's so important that we acknowledge that because I do feel like now there's a lot of attention on postpartum depression and anxiety. And I don't know if you saw this, there's a company out there, I guess they had an advertisement that was supposed to air during the Grammys and it got banned and it was showing a mom getting up out of her bed at 4am with her Perry bottle and her, you know, pad on and the baby's crying. And, uh, you know, I guess it was banned because they didn't allow commercials with sanitary napkins. So, you know, that's technically what they were advertising, but a lot of moms were like, this needs to be shown. This needs to be seen because, we need to talk more about this. And so there is a conversation starting and celebrities have come out and said, Hey, I, I had postpartum anxiety or, or depression. And, and now I'm hearing too from clients is even postpartum rage is this thing. And I think that really has to do with a lot of those generational wounds. And so for a mom who might be listening to this and she's thinking to herself, you know, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know if everything's quite right with me mental health wise, or she knows like, uh, this is probably not Okay you know, like you said, it, it's always great to address it ahead of time. But if she hasn't, what would you suggest for her at this point? You know, um, how do they even find the kind of the right person to work with and, and feel really supported? And, and I think you mentioned something that it doesn't have to be just one thing. Like you went to that breastfeeding support group and just even that was so helpful. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on where a mom can go, even if, if they're feeling not sure about where they're at, or if they know there might be a problem. Yes, definitely. I would say that I feel, in my opinion, that the first step should be about regulation. And that can be done individually, but most helpful in that stage, especially like during those first, that third, that fourth trimester, um, and, and later on to support with other moms, to, with people that can get you. And who people that might not judge you because there's some moms that will judge right so that piece i feel like is so important because that would start like for me that was the oh i'm not alone in this 
um, my son would scream bloody murder if you would change him and put him on his back. And later on, I learned that probably during birth, he had some issues in his back and I took him to craniosacral and all this kind of thing. But I thought I was the only one struggling because I would see all this mom and I would take care of my cousins when they were growing up. And I never saw any babies screaming bloody murder by being changed of a diaper or being put in his back. So, and then the whole <laughs> medical feel, like you cannot put him to sleep in his belly and all those kind of, and I'm like, but he can't, he screams. So when I went to that support group, I saw all this mom struggles with other things. Like I, for me, at that time, we were able to have a good um, breastfeeding kind of pattern and he would latch what I thought was okay. But I would tell this mom that kids will scream before getting latched and all these kind of things. And I'm like, wow, we're all in this together. Maybe my son screams. And that day he did poop in, or pee or something. And I had to change him in the support group. And he was so calm. And I was like, wow. You know, I mean, after that, he came back to the whole screaming bloody murder. But of course, was, right? He had yes, an audience. <laughs> yes. But it was that whole piece that I'm not alone. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not alone in this because we forget that. We feel like we're by ourselves and it's so isolating, especially those first days. If you are staying home and breastfeeding and all these kind of things. And if you don't have any other mom friends, which in that time, a lot of my other friends were all like, they were not even married. They did not have children. I did not have that much family here in LA. So I felt like I'm, doing, I'm dealing with this all by myself. So I would say finding a support group. And there are so many. I, you know, um, there is the postpartum international um, PSI, I think that met. Right. Yeah. Postpartum Support International. Yes. And they even have support groups that are online. I did not know that until I interviewed some people for the second season for my podcast. And I'm like, that's amazing because here's the other thing. Who wants to go to a support group? Nobody. I mean, even myself, I had, I was pushed by my dad. It was most, the person I remember that helped me the most because my mom, I think she went a little bit through her own trauma when she came to help as well because probably it was triggering for her seeing all that. But I remember my dad saying, no, no, no. He was carrying the car seat. He's like, we'll take you. We'll wait there and you go in. And, and so I had people like that. I was so you know blessed at that time to have someone to kind of encourage me to go. So I would say seek out because a lot of times they would not come knocking on your door like, hey, I think you need help. Let me come. So it would take that first step of looking whether it's in person, whether it's online, whether it's free to the PSI. Um, or there's some that are like $15, which I think, I mean, I'm thinking of LA, which I think is affordable. We spend $15 in something else. And that's another thing that I noticed. Uh, for many of new moms, if you're struggling or kind of like making end meet and you're kind of like, oh my God, and all those kind of things. And I remember because I was in maternity leave, so I was not getting paid the same. And this time <laughs> there is no maternity leave in terms of paid maternity leave because I have my own private practice. but you kind of like start going like, I cannot do that because I need to pay for this. I need to pay for that. And it's like your mental health should be one of those priorities, the same as with diapers and all these kind of things, because when you're not okay, everything else will fall. So I would say the first step would be to seek um, some kind of support because there's some. La Leche League has free support groups everywhere. There's so many. Different yes. Ones. And then there's the so second, many. Yeah. There's, and then the second would be ideally 
and this is something that I'm applying now, <laughs> ideally, it would be before you, um, like, when you're getting ready, as in OBGYNs should get better at this and anyone that work in this area, but to prepare you with different skills that you already know, work and help you regulate yourself. A lot of the ones that I like are simple because this whole self-care boom, a lot of it has to do with the spa and this and that. And when you're a new mom, <laughs> you might not be able to go to a spa in a long time, you know, for like four hours. So little things like using your five senses, noticing what's your surrounding, maybe putting music that is common for you during the whole day with binaural beats that you can put in your earphones. Um, and then like having smells that you like that bring comfort. That's easy. You can find essential oils. You can find, you know, be careful with some candles that might have some toxicity, but you know, might, you might be able to find some flowers that have some scent. So like recreate a space that feels like a little haven for you and will promote those kind of scents. So those would be like the first ones that I would say and then ideally you can find a therapist whether there's so many different directories that you can find um, the ones that are coming to my mind are psychology today and then if you are looking more for like diverse kind of practitioners there's latinx therapy there's i think melanin therapy i can give you more for the show notes but like in those places or in PSI, I learned that there's actually a phone number that you can call a hotline and you can get connected to someone in your county to help you get linked with services. So, mm -hmm. but it will start with you reaching out. Yeah, no, that's so excellent. And you just gave so many actionable ideas for moms out there. And um, I love that because one of my goals with this podcast is I've really wanted to bring in particular, you know, more women of color on here to have their voices heard. And I love that, you know, your podcast is bilingual and you mentioned that too, because, you know, I'm here in Arizona, so I have a lot of bilingual uh, clients that I've worked with. And it's always hard for me just, you know, I know a little bit, but uh, not enough to really, I, I don't know the, the lingo that I need to, to work with them. So it's nice to have places to direct them. And um, what you said just so simply though about, you know, bringing, bringing a haven into your home that you don't need to leave your home to go find that self-care and that there's very simple things. And even one of the things I'll teach a lot of my moms when it comes to breastfeeding is, you know, they're very, they're very stressed, very anxious, might be kind of, you know, already preparing for that latch to not go well. And when we just change their physiology a little bit where we can get them to sit up straight, take some deep breaths, you know, those little things that can help calm them to create that better experience and it was so funny. You mentioned your son who normally screamed for diaper changes and he didn't. He was like this little angel. I cannot tell you how many times that happens when someone's in my presence. They're like, he's never normally this good. I'm like, yes, I understand, but you're here with support now and you're calmer. And that totally translates to your baby. And, you know, like you said, your mental health is so important, but it's not like, so this catchphrase, like, oh, your mental health is important. Put the oxygen on mass first. Like you are already parenting this child. They're already, you're already shaping who they're going to become. And if your mental health, you know, isn't taken care of, you know, you've already, um, you're, you're, you're in some ways and not to create like guilt or anything, but potentially you're kind of passing on this unhealthy sort of, you know, mindset or pattern, uh, feelings about yourself to, your child or they're seeing that as an example, even as a baby when they're just soaking up so much. And so it's really important that if you're feeling that disconnection with yourself and, and maybe it's translating to a disconnection with your child, that you do take care of that. And 
I just want to, you know, we need to like shout it from the rooftops, like, please moms go take care of yourself. But like you're saying, it doesn't have to be, you know, great. If you can afford, uh, you know, the psychologist at, at $300 an hour, wonderful. Great. Let's go take care of that. But maybe you have less resources right now, which is a real reality for a lot of families out there, especially in the U S where maternity leave is just very, very poor in terms of what we get for that. And, uh, like you and I, we don't really get paid maternity leave anymore. So, uh, you know, even though, right. So you're like, great, I'm a, I'm an entrepreneur. I have my own business. I have my own practice. Um, doing great things, but where there's still challenges for even people like us. So, really like the actionable steps. I, I would love to, um, I don't want to segue too much the conversation, but you know, I know for my own self that I had a really difficult birth experience with my son. So I felt like, you know, I, I felt like my mental health was great. I, I had a career I loved. I had a great relationship. With my husband, I had good friends around me. Maybe I didn't have mom friends as support, but, um, I had planned to have a home birth with him and it did not go according to plan. And so, you know, I wanted really to kind of avoid the hospital at all costs and, uh, ended up going there and it was, it was necessary, but I kept, um, having these, you know, dreams after I gave birth to him that I would, uh, not to be terribly graphic, but I would, I was putting him back inside my body and, and giving birth to him again. And I would just try to, every dream I would have, it was like me trying to like birth him in the way that I wanted. And it wasn't until like several weeks later where it actually occurred to me, like that my birth was actually traumatizing for me that I, I had to, it was unexpected. It was sudden. And that these dreams were just my brain's way of sort of processing what had happened. And I was so hung up on, I didn't get the outcome I wanted. And I know that's a lot of breastfeeding moms as well. And I just wondered if you could, you know, speak to that a bit. Yeah, no, definitely. I think um, you're describing something that is very common. And I want to go back in terms from a trauma perspective. Our brain always wants to make sense of what happens. And a very simple way of describing is when we go through a traumatic experience, especially if it's something that it was something that happened very fast and very intense or very slow for a long time, because there's also those births that are very slow and, you know, like you're all of that then our brain kind of like breaks all that. And that's when we call like dissociated and like all these puzzle pieces are like scattered because it's too much for us to take, you know, in, into consideration and put it back together. But when we go to sleep and maybe you were like in REM stage, which is why EMDR is one of the therapists that works really good for processing trauma, then your brain is trying to make sense. It's trying to make sense. Wait, let's create a comprehensive story so we can put all the pieces together and, and process it and integrate it. Because as you integrate, then it's an integrated memory and it shouldn't necessarily trigger. It will still trigger like maybe like that kind of like, oh, I wish it was this way, but not necessarily like so many physiological triggers like palpitations or feeling like anger and all those kind of things. So I, I just want to say that that's a very common thing. And, and, and thank you for sharing that. And I bet that was hard. Um, I cannot imagine. I'm also planning my second home birth and I'm trying to like let go. And that's where I was going to go next. Birthing is like a, <laughs> the most surrendering experience that I've ever had and I'm a very um I used to I'm I'm a recovering from that very uh go-getter and and this is my way and very in that American culture like if you work hard you're gonna make it and all these kind of things and birthing is one of the most humble experiences for women to just 
surrender to whatever is. And I mean, of course, there's great ways to support it and all that. But many women, especially in our society, have experiences that are considered traumatic, but that's something that doctors and OBGYNs or even with midwives don't talk about it because it's kind of like something that is expected. And I know they go like, it's the most natural thing and all women have done it forever. So you should be fine. But trauma from that perspective is anything that puts you in that state of survival. And you could have gone into like a heightened kind of like a fight flight mode of like, maybe feel like, you know, super anxious about it. And like, I need to figure this out in that kind of hypervigilance mode, or you, it's so much that you go to like a shutdown freeze response or numbing and just like there. And you feel like it happened in, in it was like a movie being like happening outside of you. And if that happened during your birth, most likely it was a traumatic experience. And when we talk that word, the T word, the trauma, a lot of people, again, think like it's a huge thing because it's now it's more talk about all these subtle things. And there's so many intrinsicated in, um not that word. There's so many different ways of describing trauma. And one of this is like that small T's, big T's and all that. But in general, it's anything that for you, that your body interpreted that it was a threat to your safety, it, it, then your body perceived it as trauma. And then there's a sequela. And then our brain starts to try to make sense. Wait, why am I feeling like that? And then you start creating a story that would kind of support all of that believe, and then you create stories and beliefs about that. And that's when it becomes like really difficult because <laughs> humans, we like to do that. We like to make stories of whatever we sense or feel. So I just want to say that even if somebody else has been like minimizing, like, oh, come on, I went through that as well. If you experiences like that, then it was probably a traumatic experience and you're not alone. I would say there's a vast number of women that their birth have been considered traumatic or that they were not able to do things. And I love um, my, she was my doula, and now she's a midwife um, in Florida. My good friend, Sewell, and she, she would talk about those things and how to recreate for some people um, in that she would kind of like, if people wanted a water birth and they weren't able to do it, how to, how to then kind of recreate, like maybe using the water birth and filling it out with herbs and stuff and having with baby to recreate whatever you needed as a way to process it and still have some kind of closure. Yeah. So, I love yeah. that. I, I do teach my clients rebirthing a lot of the time and it's an excellent technique to get your baby back to the breast. And you, you brought up so many really amazing points about kind of how to recognize whether or not something is trauma because I do think there's a narrative. I know certainly after my birth, I was told, well, you know, at least you and baby are healthy. And I'm like, um, hang on a second. I am feeling totally scarred over here and waking up with just in sweats after these like dreams slash nightmares that I'm having. Like, I don't think that's it, the the gold standard there is that we're alive, you know, and and I do see in my practice specifically. Obviously, you don't have babies coming to your practice. I mean, they might actually physically come with a mom, but um, I do see babies who have suffered trauma, like you mentioned. You know, separation from mom that can be a traumatic event for a baby. Um, but if they go to the the NICU, if they if it's a long birth, if it's a very short birth. Um, a vacuum or forceps is used, you know, various things. You know, I know my mom 
kind of an inter- intergenerational wound story would always remind me how I broke her tailbone when she was in labor with me. Um, and I'm like, well, didn't mean to clearly, I didn't know what I was doing, but she was affected by that. And, and, you know, clearly I was somehow affected by that birth. It wasn't going that well. Um, but here I am. Right. And so, you know, you mentioned something about the body too, and how the body interprets trauma. And, and a really important distinction to make is that there's some things that your brain is doing that that's how your brain, like you said, there's these scattered pieces and it's trying to make sense of those. And what I'm hearing you say is that there's nothing wrong with you. It's not your thinking or your feelings are wrong. Or like, I, I think sometimes we as women can maybe internalize and start to feel shame even about our own thoughts and feelings, but this is just the way the brain works. It's not good or bad. There's no judgment there, but there's ways that we can sort of retrain the brain and and to process and move on from those things so that we're not going through that over and over again. And um, you made me kind of think of something about, you know, the body and babies back to what I was saying, where I see these babies who have gone through trauma and and babies, you know, can recover, you know, really, really easily a lot of the time. But if we don't, if we don't do something, I see babies who are very dysregulated. And you talked about, you know, moms regulating themselves, where they're just, you know, they're very, they're very tense, they're very tight, um, and they're very just quick to get upset and things like that. And it might not even be something that's physically wrong with them. But when I explore the history of the birth, maybe even the pregnancy could have been very stressful or, you know, um, the mother had like HG and was throwing up all the time. There's things that affect. And one of the things I, I recommend a lot for that is something like craniosacral therapy or, um, you know, EFT or tapping. You can do that. Um, there's many ways that you can help your, even your infants, um, with, you know, creating that regulation. And I don't think that's talked enough about either. I think, uh, oftentimes it's dismissed and, and fascia really, you know, stores the trauma in our bodies. And so these babies that are tense and tight and they're just, you know, little fists all the time, they're like, Oh, how cute. That's what they looked like on the ultrasound. Well, yeah, but they're like three months old now. So they should probably have like stretched out a little bit. And, uh, it's important to talk about it on all levels because what affects you affects your baby and vice versa. And there's just so much, I mean, honestly, I could probably just talk to you for hours about this. Um, but yeah. I think I'd love for you to even just address a little more the piece about the body and and how that's affected as well. Because you know any mom who's postpartum breastfeed or, or not, she's already got to heal physically from that. But uh, adding in mental health stuff can definitely change that journey there. Yeah, and as you were talking, what I was thinking is I think that's definitely part of what was going on with my son. I had a super long labor. I was in one centimeter for like. 16 hours. And I was having, from my perception, I was having contractions very consistent every five minutes. My friend Sewell, which I mentioned earlier, she was kind of mentioning that maybe he was not, um, like his positioning in the cervix, you know, was not well. And that's why I think he probably had some issues in his back. And maybe, you know, that whole piece of being in his back would actually physically hurt him. Mm. But here I was with my own intergenerational trauma. Like there's some, like whenever the body had any issue, there's something wrong. My mom was the type of person, I mean, she did study biology and she did work in a pharmaceutical company, but my house was the house that if you would have something, she would have a medicine for you. There was like a huge medicine cabinet and that I thought everybody lived like that. 
I thought everybody had like all these kind of medicines in their home. I remember the first time I was in my early 20s and I fly to like Europe for 20 something days and I did not have with me Pepto-Bismol and I was like, it was so liberating, you know, that's how I, I grew up. So when my son would show those signs, my internal response was like, there's something wrong with him. And then I went into like, there's something wrong with me that I don't know how to figure that out. And I have to fix it. I had to fix it. And probably he felt my anxiety and that triggered him like, oh, if she's feeling there's something wrong, then there means that what I'm going through is something wrong. And we had that whole kind of collusion of, 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 of nervous systems both being activated. And Something that I did not know then and that I'm learning now as I'm interviewing for the second season that I'm taking so many notes <laughs> is that beautiful, um, the massage therapy kind of techniques for babies and connection. And um, I interviewed someone, her name is Andrea, she's a therapist in, in Florida. And there is like this whole technique that you massage the baby maybe after bath time or something like a time and you're seeing a song while you're massaging the baby and creating that connection to help both regulate but also like touch is so important especially in infancy so i would say that and remember when i was talking about how i feel like touch was something that was missed intergenerational because of the separation of my grandma and my mom and then me and my mom so that and that for me felt so uncomfortable even though i was breastfeeding and all that having something tight to me and touching me and my son he's the most he wants hugs all the time that's just who he is he's like mom a hug a hug and i'm still learning yeah that is part of me like wanting to like push away because of my own kind of intergenerational trauma shit that i'm still kind of dealing and working through so I would say definitely with infants, that touch, which I am really looking forward to integrating now with Baby Girl and learning that song or creating a song. Um, she's Andrea, she's a therapist and she works with the moms about that, but even creating a song and doing that ritual of touch and finding ways again to regulate myself because infants, they pick up. They're, I mean, com communication is like more than 80% nonverbal and infants are picking up on all of that on your cues and that's when the whole attachment builds up so if you're like looking at your child with like all this sympathetic nervous system response like dilated eyes and kind of like what's going on in tone of voice and all these kind of things are rushing through things they're picking up something is wrong and they're going to respond to that and that's how our bodies are so we're always reading cues from people so something that helps me for that is like just feeling my feet in the ground and just pushing it down, taking deep breath, having water and moving the body, the body, you know, and even like maybe self massage here and there, like getting some lotions that you like, but our bodies hold on so much. So I would definitely say is that combination of you taking care of yourself and also your child. And if you're listening to this and you've gone, cause that was hard for me. I remember talking to my therapist, at that moment being like, I'm messing up the attachment and I'm messing up this because I'm so anxious. And I was reading the book, um, Parenting from the Inside Out from Dan Siegel, which is a great book. And she was like, stop reading that. Right now we need to work on you before you go into how you're you know, impacting your child. So also know where you are. And maybe this is a time for you that if you're listening to this and you're going through that, to just be like, okay, let me, how can I work with me? Simple things that I can do with me that would also help baby. Because yeah. I was more, how can I help baby? How can I help baby? What can I do? What, where can I take him? Current sacral, this and that. And I was forgetting about me. And yes. that was a big piece in, 
um, piece of the puzzle. That is absolutely vital. And, and honestly, just such a great place to wrap up what we're discussing because uh, I do feel like, you know, even in my work where there's this big focus on, oh, the baby breastfeeding, the baby, the baby, the baby, uh, you know, is the baby getting enough for the growing well? And it's like all these things. And, and of course, you know, you, you see the pediatrician on the regular, you see the OB1s and it's like, that's it. So there, you know, mom is kind of lost in the conversation, but uh, if I can always, you know, whenever I do have like a one-on-one appointment with someone or I'm, I'm leading a group, I like to just talk to the mom. Just, you know, hey, how are you doing? How are you feeling? How's, how are you feeling in your body? How are you recovering? And, and um, one of those things is just tuning into their body language, right? And just seeing where they're at and trying to make them feel at ease. And so, uh, you know, like you just described so beautifully, just, you know, putting your feet on the ground and just using the five senses and where am I right now? And just getting super present because we can get so wrapped up in, you know, okay, I want to be the best mom and I got to research this and like, you know, you designed the nursery off of Pinterest or whatever, right? Like there's all these common things that I, I think I see a lot of moms chatting about and, um, you know, just, let's just slow down a little bit and let's just talk about you and what can you do. And, um, for anybody who goes back and listens to episode three, you mentioned movement and I had Beverly Simpson on to talk about that. And she was talking about, you know, if it's just like you sitting in the bathroom for, you know, like 10 more seconds, so you can take five deep breaths while someone else holds the baby. Like we don't have to book a spa day. We don't have to, you know, hire a bunch of people. Like there's things that we can do ourselves. And when we start relying on ourselves more, that, that builds that resilience that you're talking about. So, um, absolutely so, so beautiful. Um, I would love for you to just wrap up with any thoughts, like, you know, if, if there was something, maybe someone could have told you, you kind of talked about that or, you know, when, when you were a new mom or, you know, what's a message that you'd really like for our listeners to hear today? Hmm. That's a good one. I've been thinking a lot that for me preparing for baby too. Um, what I would say is to, so you can go back and listen to this and then <laughs> I know, I know. I, I'll be like, I'm, I'm like whole second season of my podcast and I was listening to your uh, episode number three and I'm like, yes. And I, I want to keep finishing because I'm definitely this time I want to work out a little bit postpartum. Um, and I, I love how you were so um, open and vulnerable, even about the, the, you know, using the sport bras and all those kind of things. Cause that was some of my questions cause I'm a more of a, Oh yeah. Person. Yeah. Um, and so I would say, and you might hear this a lot, but something that I feel like it's going to be different this time is that I know that it will pass. And you might hear that a lot. And I hated it. I remember when I would hear like, hang in there, mom. I hated that phrase because I felt like it was very like, like kind of like do it on your own. Like you figure it out. And, and so I tried to not say any like that, but kind of know that this is is momentarily, it would not stay like that forever. Like I breastfed my son for two years and now it's been um, basically three years. It's going to be in May since I stopped and I forgot a lot of things. And it's like, you do forget some of these things and maybe some of them, it might be in my body, but I will kind of like, it will, it would move. It would move. Nothing is temporary. And that's one of the hardest things in motherhood. I remember when you're getting the hang of it, of a sleeping pattern, then things will change of whatever. But knowing that it would not stay the same, I wish somebody would have said that to me in a more kind of calm voice instead of like, oh, everything will change, kind of dismissing. No, like to really know it would not stay the same like this. There are things that you can do 
to help you. And I wish somebody would have paused a little bit more with me to be like, it's also important about you. Baby is going to be okay if you're okay. That lesson, it took me a while to really, because I was in my, nobody was able to see that I was in the, I need to fix this. He's wrong. You know, there's something wrong with him. I wish somebody would be like, you know what? Um, what about you? You know, so I, I would definitely say those are two of the things that I feel like are really important if you're in those first months, first years to kind of know that things will change and that you matter. And at the end, the flexibility by you taking care of you and you doing things that work for you will be much better than actually following up a book about step one, step two, step three of how to raise a child. That is Oh, so well stated. Thank you so much for sharing your perspective and your story. I know that you've helped a lot of people by sharing this on this podcast. Um, and we'll link everything up for people to connect with you in the show notes. But, you know, where's the easiest place for someone to find you, reach out to you if they want to, you know, follow you, learn more, um, just, you know, pay attention to your message. We mentioned the podcast, but anything else? Yeah. So I'm very active in my Instagram account. And I have two, I have my personal, well, not my personal, my business one for my brand, Dr. Lidiana Garcia. And that one will be Dr. Lidiana Garcia. And my name, will, it's with a Y. So it's like Lydia now. And um, the other one is more the Beyond Resilience Live, which is the podcast one. But I'm mostly active in Dr. Lidiana Garcia. Over there, I share a little bit about and I'll be sharing more about my own journey as well in this part of, you know, becoming a mom of two. And the other place would be my website, www.beyondresiliencelife.com. That's where I have the podcast, the online offerings, and I'm starting now a blog that I'm integrating in the website as well. So those would be great places that you can find information. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Like I said, we'll link everything up in the show notes. I so appreciate you coming on, bringing this beautiful perspective to the podcast today. And um, for all the listeners out there, definitely go check her out. She's amazing. And if you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. We've got some incredible episodes coming up for you in the future, and I'll see you on the next episode. Oh, I am just in love with Dr. Garcia. She's incredible. And I have to say that this episode, again, just gave me so much to think about. And she shared so many amazing takeaways. We did say how you could connect with her over on Instagram and also her website. I will link that up in the show notes. So go check those out. And of course, I know she would love to hear from you and love to hear about uh, the impact of anything that she said in this episode. Or if you're becoming a new listener to her podcast, definitely check that out. I love that she offers uh, bilingual support as well. So for our Spanish-speaking listeners, she's a wonderful resource for you to check out. I'm sure that she would love to hear from you. So if you're listening to the podcast on your phone, take a quick screenshot of that, upload it to your Instagram, tag her, let her know that you found something really valuable. I love when our guests get to hear from the listeners uh, because I know that they're taking this time out of their day. They're not getting paid to be on the podcast. I'm not getting paid to do this podcast, uh, but they love to hear that at least it was worth their time to put this information out there. So thank you again for your support and I will catch you on the next episode. Did you know 
most moms stop breastfeeding in the first month postpartum? I believe succeeding at breastfeeding means having the right mindset. In fact, studies show that the number one factor that determines breastfeeding success is commitment, which is why I've created my incredible audio download of breastfeeding affirmations where I give you actionable mantras so you can breastfeed your baby with confidence and peace of mind. And best of all, it's free. To get access to this audio and PDF, simply visit holisticlactation.com slash mantras, and you can get started right now.